0: able to use it several times. The first year we were there, we discovered an outdoor venue called Aerial Adventure. We've gone to Aerial Adventure every time we have visited. There's a ropes course with four levels of difficulty. There's also a zip line that is just a blast. I remember the very first time when Isabella, our daughter, and I did the ropes course. I think she was about 11. She's 19 now. And we started out at the green level, which is 12 feet above the ground, about the uh, height of a one-story house. 12 feet may not seem like a lot, but when you're 12 feet up, it's a lot. So we went through the training session and got our harnesses on and then started off. And I went ahead of Isabella, in each station. And you would do a portion of the ropes course and then there was a plat- there would be a platform uh, at one of the trees or a, a tremendous pole. And then I would turn around and I would look at her as she was beginning that particular part of the course. And I would say, dad's right here, I've got you. Just keep your eyes on me, don't look down. because you look down, then you get wobbly. And you might fall. Of course, you're harnessed. But still, it's better to remain focused and get to the other side. Don't look down. Keep your eyes on me. I've got you. And I can remember how excited she was when she crossed over that very first, whether it was a a bridge made of a log or a tightrope, I can't remember. But I remember how excited she was when she got to the other side. Today's story in scripture wasn't an aerial adventure, but it sure was a wild water ride as Peter and the rest of the disciples faced a severe squall on the Sea of Galilee. Jesus, as you will see in the story, never lost sight of his disciples who were out in the middle of it on their boat. He let them get about halfway across. And then he went to them. He never took his eyes off of them. But they took their eyes off Jesus. We will see that when we are overconfident or smug or think we got it and don't need help, that it's easy for us to take our eyes off of Jesus. Yet, he Gives us the faith to move mountains. The one who calmed the storm and walked on the water gives us the strength to move mountains. If you were here last Sunday, you'll remember that our passage was about Jesus' miracle of feeding the multitudes. You study the version in St. Matthew's Gospel. Remember that all four of the Gospels recorded that story, which signifies. The importance of the feeding of the multitudes in the lives of the first followers of Jesus as well as those in the early church. The story was told and retold and retold and became canonized in Scripture in all four of the Gospels. Three of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and John, report what happened immediately following the feeding miracle. John chapter 6, verse 14 and 15 includes a key element of this story that we need to cover so that we can better understand Jesus' purpose in today's miracle where he walked on water and calmed a storm. After feeding the multitudes with five loaves of barley bread and two fish, the crowd was amazed, and they wanted to force Jesus to be king. It was the season of Passover, which meant that there was a perfect storm of heightened Jewish nationalism. They wanted Jesus to be their national deliverer, a Messiah king that was both political and militaristic, a king who would finally deliver them from Roman oppression. They had been under some foreign regime or another for some 700 years, and it was about time for them to be free. This Messiah who healed the sick, frees the prisoners, sends demon running, and feeds thousands of people from such a small amount, must be the one whom God has sent to deliver us from Roman oppression. We will make him our king. You can just imagine them saying and shouting that. But Jesus knew this was not his father's will. He knew that he had a greater purpose, as was prophesied often in the Hebrew Scriptures, in particular this passage from Isaiah, which Jesus read when he went to synagogue in Luke chapter 4 in his hometown. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus was reading the scroll from Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 and 2. When all of this nationalistic hype was going on and they wanting to make him king, he knew what he needed to do. He knew that he needed to get out of there as quickly as possible and go to be with God in prayer. Perhaps we could look at what was going on as another temptation. A temptation of Jesus to use his power in a way that would not be pleasing to his Father in heaven. I imagine that this account could have taken Jesus back to the time where he was tempted by Satan in the wilderness over 40 days and 40 nights. Where Satan said, if you are the son of God, if you are who you say you are, or rather, since you're the son of God, take turn this bread uh, stone to bread, and so forth. Jesus knew that what was happening at the end of the feeding miracle was not something that God desired. He did not desire Jesus to be that kind of king. So he needed to be alone to rest and to pray. And now we come back to the Matthew's gospel in the 14th chapter to verse 22 when we pick up to see what happened next. Matthew records, Immediately... Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while Jesus dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. So we'll pause there. We'll pause a few Times as we go through this passage. Here Jesus compelled the disciples to get in the boat and go on ahead of him. He ordered them to do something out of necessity. He knew that the disciples needed to go ahead and that Jesus needed time by himself to be with God, to pray and to rest and to be refreshed. As he dismissed them, he did not take his eyes off of them. He could see them as they went out into the water. He also dismissed the crowd. The Greek is apoluo, and he sent them away. And I imagine that it was a a blessing or a benediction that uh, as they were going, he, he would bless them and encourage them as they went on their way. And then he went up on the mountainside to pray. He was alone. This is one of several occasions where Jesus would withdraw from his ministry, responsibilities from the crowds, even from the disciples that he could pray and be renewed. Recall that he had done this before the feeding miracle after he learned of the death of John the Baptist. He was alone to pray when the crowds followed him to that place which led him to minister to them and then to perform the miracle of feeding the multitudes. Although Jesus was high up on the mountain, he was able to see the disciples in their boat. Some scholars suggest that because it was the Passover time that it would have been a full moon, and the moon would have in, uh, illuminated somewhat the water and that Jesus was able to see them. But I think even if there was no moonlight, Jesus would have known where they were anyway. Matthew reports that they were about halfway out, but they were far, probably three and... Three three and a half miles or so, and then a fierce storm came up, which was very common on the Sea of Galilee. The NIV uh, reads, "The boat was a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it." The New Living Translation says they were fighting heavy waves. The Amplified Version states that the boat was tossed and battered by the waves. The literal Greek translation is they were tormented. Tormented by the waves. So this was a severe storm. Now look at what happens next, starting in verse 25. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. I don't know why the disciples were at that point at the fourth watch in the night. It was between three and six in the morning. You would think that they would have gotten much farther by this point. Maybe they lingered by the shore to talk about what all had happened, or maybe, most likely, The storm came up, and they were not able to make progress because of such severe headwinds. The boat was tormented because the wind was against it, as you heard. Well, there comes Jesus. They did not call out for Jesus. Jesus went to them. They thought that Jesus was a ghost, and they were terrified. So they were afraid of the squall. And they were afraid of a ghost. They cried out in fear. And then Jesus comes along in verse 27. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. Pause here for just a moment and reflect on what the significance of Jesus' words. Take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. On the one hand, they knew his voice, sort of like this. Peter, Matthew, Philip, Judas, and the rest of you guys, it's me, Jesus. Everything's going to be okay, just trust me. Don't you remember all of the other things that have happened by now? Trust me, take heart, and do not fear. But Jesus did more than that when he said, it is I. The disciples, I believe, would have immediately gone back and remembered in their minds how God spoke to Moses on the mountain and revealed himself in the burning bush that would not extinguish. And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And Moses said, well, God, when I'm supposed to tell the people who said all of this, what am I supposed to say your name is? And then God said, tell them the I am sent you to them. In the Gospel of John, there are seven occurrences of Jesus defining himself as I am. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection. I am the way. I am the true vine. Jesus had the same power of the God who parted the sea, the Red Sea, as the Israelites went through to the other side on dry ground. This same God has revealed himself in Jesus Christ, and he says, take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. All the while he's speaking to them, the sea is raging. And then in verse 27, verse 28 and following, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you. But if you get down beneath the English translation, you'll see that the Greek here is a statement of fact with the indicative. And we can translate this, Lord, if it's you, and it is, tell me to come to you on the water. Or Lord, since it's you, Tell me to come to you on the water. Do you hear a little bit of pride there or a little smugness? Standing back, uh, Jesus, since it's you, exercise your power, and I want to see if you can help me walk on the water. I'm testing you to see if you can do it. Lord, since it's you. And then Jesus said, come on. Peter got down out of the boat, verse 29. By the way, come on was a little pastor interjection there. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. And you you know what happened next. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. I believe that Peter was putting Jesus to the test. And again, I wonder if Jesus may have thought back to that time when he was in the wilderness and Satan was tempting him to use his power in a way that was not appropriate to the will of God. But in this case, he exercised grace and allowed Peter the blessing of miraculously walking on the water, and he said, come. In those few moments, before Peter took his eyes off Jesus and focused on the wind, or the evidence of the wind, which were probably six foot or better waves, I wonder if he remembered how Jesus said, come, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. I wonder if he remembered Jesus saying, come and see. I wonder if he remembered Jesus saying, come unto me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, and you will be, you will, uh, be gentle and humble in heart. Right? I wonder if, if those thoughts came across Peter's mind as he's stepping out of the boat there. And for just a few moments, he was able to miraculously walk on the water in the midst of the waves and the white caps and his white knuckles. But then the Bible tells us that he took his eyes we understand, that he took his eyes off of Jesus. He focused on the evidence of the wind, the waves, and he plunged Then, as he went into the water, he, beginning to sink in verse 30, cried out, Lord, save me. He knew Jesus was Lord. And in that moment where he needed it the most, he cried out to the Lord to save him. And Jesus says, immediately in verse 31, reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith. Why'd you doubt? And they climbed into the boat and the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. Jesus never took his eyes off of the disciples. He never stopped caring for them. And in that moment when Peter needed it the most, Jesus reached his hand right out and pulled him out of the water. And the two of them were hauled into the boat. We can learn a few lessons today. If you want to jot these down as I share them, it's just very brief. But Jesus, in our storms, in our situations, he sees us, never takes his eyes off of us. He sees us and he gets us. He gets our situation. He never We are seen and we are heard. He understands and empathizes with us. There's a lesson about life that we all face problems. We all do. In every pew there's a broken heart. Says Anne Graham lots. We all have our storms. Even Christians who know the Lord Jesus personally as Savior, through problems and trials and storms we're no uh, we're not spared from them but we have help like peter we can change peter went from smug to surrender from prideful from perhaps testing jesus to exert his power to do something miraculous and then surrendered it all to him when he needed help. We can do the same with God's grace and help. And with just a little faith, remember, we can move mountains. Nothing is impossible with God. We all have doubts and fears. But the thing to remember is that Jesus meets us right where we are, and he loves us anyway. He says, listen, Bob, Just remember, a little bit of faith can move mountains. Faith as small as the mustard seed grows a tree that's the largest in the garden. And church, remember it takes all of us. All of the disciples were rowing in that boat against the storm. And they were all together to witness this miracle. And they went to the other side and continued their ministry with Jesus and changed the world. It takes all of us, church. Are you willing to do your part as we follow him to do his will? Psalm 16, verse 8, the writer says, Let us keep our eyes always on the Lord. With him at our right hand, we will not be shaken.